Hello. Hi there. Hi. Uh, my name is Phil. This is my son, Sam. And uh, I I'm brand new to coffee, so I don't want too much. Okay. Can you take half of the regular version of the coffee and mix it with half of the decaffeinated version? Or is that, is that just too weird a thing to ask for? Half-calf? Right, half-calf. Half-calf. We're, we're, we're going to have a half-calf. I'll have a decaf coffee. I'll have a decaf espresso. I'll have a double decaf cappuccino. Do you have any decaffeinated coffee ice cream? I'll have a half double decaffeinated yeah. half calf with a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon. I'll have a twist of lemon, please. I'll have a twist of lemon. Coffee. Got it right here. Cups. 12 ounce, 8 ounce recyclable. Creamers, sweeteners, stirrers, filters. Creamers, sweeteners, stirrers, filters, cake cups. Hazelnut, French vanilla, French rose, dark, light, medium, bold, extra bold. And decaf. Why would you say that? Why would you say that? Why would you say that? No reason. Wide awake. Well, whatever it takes, wide awake. Say that with me. Why? Just want to make sure everybody's wide awake. Anybody, could you use some coffee? Okay, we've got some coffee here. We have special grace today inside the campus because we're talking about being wide awake. Wide awake. Say that with me. Wide awake. I don't want to sleepwalk my way through 2018. Instead, I want to have my eyes wide open to new possibilities and new opportunities. Uh, what happened to Pastor Ken? He seems full of so much energy and vitality. Has he had too much caffeine? Oh, I saw this cat online. It said, well, the espresso just kicked in. <laughs> well, actually, what happened is I went to church and... Since the start of the year, I've been praying a prayer, a dangerous prayer that goes like this. God, wake me up before I die. And God answered my prayer, and God got woke. And what God did for me, God can do for you. That is our prayer. That's our declaration. Can we give God praise? Amen. That's what I'm believing for. In fact, the theme verse for the series, can we read it together? Boy, own this verse. Let it be true for you. Everybody say it with me. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Can we say it one more time? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. To be wide awake. You know, what would it look like for you this year to live each day wide awake? It's interesting. Right before I started the series, I was reading the sports page. I'm old school. I still read the newspaper. <laughs> and so I'm reading the sports page, and I come across a story about Kevin Durant. You can see his picture right up here. Amen. <laughs> Everybody's got to have a dream, amen. <laughs> but actually, uh, the real picture of Kevin Durant, he's a star for the Warriors, and he was talking about how last year, uh, there was a moment in his life, and he described it this way, he got woke. And he, he explained it by saying that he grew up in the hood, and basketball got him out of the hood. It was his ticket out but that he realized this last year that he could use his platform of influence to go back into the hood to help those who were still stuck in the hood. 
and that he could do much more when it came to social justice and race relations, he described it this way. He said he got woke. That's what it meant for him. What would it look like for you? As we wrap up this series, that if we prayed that prayer, God, wake me up before I die, and we live this year wide awake, wide awake. Well, we've been tracking through Nehemiah, and so far this year, we've looked at how Nehemiah taps into the power of purpose, and how he takes a risky step of faith, and how it takes teamwork to make the dream work. And last week, we talked about tenacity and perseverance. When I look around at the folks at Cathedral of Faith, you know what I see? I see you got grit, amen, old-fashioned grit. And today, as we wrap things up, I want to talk to you about what I call the favor factor, that as we move into 2018, that we would be wide awake to the favor of God, that God has the favor we need. We need the favor of God. We need the favor of those over us, the favor of those around us to be what we're called to be and do what we call are called to do. We need the favor factor, wide awake to favor. Favor, say that with me, favor, wide awake to favor. When my dad was in Kansas City before we moved out here to San Jose, he had a growing, thriving church in the Midwest in Kansas City. And when he came out to California, He was visiting, and you could say that my dad got woke to the spiritual need here in California. And he felt a divine nudge to come out here. And when he began to tell others about that divine nudge, they told him, Kenny Foreman, don't go out to San Jose, because the Bay Area is a graveyard for churches. I mean, 50 years ago, that's how people viewed the Bay Area, that the Bay Area is a graveyard for churches. If you go to California, your ministry will go down the drain. And yet, when God gives you a nudge, hello, why, it's something you just can't get away from. And so my dad takes a step of faith and moves to San Jose. When he did, if you ask him, how certain were you? He'll tell you that he was mostly certain. Here's what I found out. If you wait until you're 100% certain, until you take that step of faith, you will always be waiting because it's a step of faith. If you had 100% of all the facts, it would be called a step of facts. You never have all the facts. That's why it's called a step of faith. And so he's mostly certain, 70%, 80%. He's mostly certain, and he takes his step. Here is the prayer that he prayed. What did my dad pray when he came out to San Jose? He prayed, God, I'll do what you want me to do and go where you want me to go because my security is not in this church in the Midwest. My security is in you. My security is in you, amen? And as long as I have your blessing, 
as long as your hand is upon me, as long as I have your favor, don't take your favor away from me. God, give me favor in San Jose. That was over 53 years ago. And now when we look back, look what the Lord has done through his favor. Can we give God a shout of praise? Hallelujah. See, God's favor, when it's upon your life, it can make all the difference in the world. And so today, I want us to be wide awake to favor, to to pray for favor, believe for favor, ask for favor, look for favor, because favor can make all the difference. Favor, say that with me, favor. Now, let's track through Nehemiah's story. You'll find it on your outline It starts with, well, the favor factor that makes you fall over. I mean, it just knocks you off your chair. You remember Nehemiah is, well, he hears about the condition of the city of Jerusalem. And when he hears about the condition, how the walls were broken down and the gates had been burned. I mean, back in that day, if a city didn't have walls or gates, it was defenseless. The people in the city were helpless and hopeless. And when he hears about the condition of the city, he got woke. And God dropped a dream into his heart to rise up and to rebuild the walls and the gates. But in order to do that, he was going to need favor. He was going to need favor with the king. And so he prays to God. He says, God, give me success today. When I bring my request to King Artaxerxes, give me success today. Would you pray that with me? Give me success today. Can we say it one more time? Give me success today. That was his prayer. God, I need favor. And I wonder what the odds were. What were the odds? that he would find favor with a pagan king? You know, they have odds on everything nowadays. You can go online. I found some different odds that, well, if you you play golf, the odds are one in 5,000 that you'll get a hole in one. Or if you're shaving, that the odds are one in 6,585 that you'll injure yourself shaving. Or to win a gold medal, the odds are 1 in 663,000 that you will win a gold medal. For me, the odds are even higher than that. It's really a long shot. Now, the odds of you being canonized as a saint, the odds are 1 in 20 million. And my brother will tell you the odds of me being canonized, that is really a long shot. I can tell you for sure. The odds of you dating a supermodel, hello, are 1 in 88,000. But this is one time I beat the odds. I didn't, I didn't date a supermodel. I married a supermodel. Hello. They have odds about everything. I mean, you know, your odds of you winning the lotto. 
Uh, one in 40 million. I mean, what, are the, what are the odds that Nehemiah going to this king, this king is not a person of faith. This king wasn't a soft touch. He had had his own brother killed. This king had issued a decree. Don't rebuild the walls. I don't need another city rebuilding, causing me headaches by rebelling against me. He had issued that decree. What are the odds he'll change his mind? Are you kidding me? You might as well buy a lotto ticket. And then Nehemiah falls off his chair when the king says, yes, you can go and rebuild. And it turns out the Bible is true after all. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Amen. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And now Nehemiah, he's on a roll. And so he says, King, thank you so much. I have just one more thing, just one more thing. I don't have an army, but you do. And I need protection on that journey. It's an 800-mile trip to Jerusalem. Could you give me the protection I need? And the king says, yes. Nehemiah's really on a roll now. And so he says, King, thank you so much. Just one more thing. Just one more thing. I don't have any money. But you do. And would you give me the lumber I need to rebuild the gates and rebuild the walls? When you start asking for money, you're really pushing your luck. And the king says, yes. Are you kidding me? And Nehemiah, looking back on the situation, says the king gave me the letters and everything I asked for. The king did that because my God was kind to me. Can we give God praise for his kindness and for his favor? He works on our hearts through those above us and those around us to give us the favor we need to rebuild. When you make a decision to rise up and build, God can give you favor. Where do you need favor? Begin to pray for favor, believe for favor, look for favor. Uh, we have a guy on our team, I call him Mr. Favor. He is the favor factor. His name is Jim Gallagher. Would you let Jim know how much you love him? He's the director of our food program. And years ago, wow, years ago, here we are dedicating the church, 1981, right where you're sitting. We pray this prayer of dedication that went like this. God, help us to hear the cries of our, those in our city. Help us to see the hurts of those in our city. God, give us favor to serve our city. And God answered our prayer and gave us favor. And one of the ways he gave us favor is by sending us Jim Gallagher. Seven years ago, Jim came to be the director of Reaching Out. At that time, we were giving out $2 million worth of food in serving our community. Last year, we were able to give out, through Jim's leadership, over $15 million worth of food in 
38 public schools. Let's give God praise. That's what you call favor. Hallelujah. Because Jim's that kind of guy. He, he asks for favor, believes for favor, prays for favor. Uh, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, he's given a campus tour. And a lady on the tour works for the foster care system. And in foster care, once kids turn 18, most of them, they just are, well, left to fend for themselves. And so this group works with those kids. And through the favor we have found with them and the favor we have with Second Harvest, our great partners, through that favor, this is hot off the press. This is just happening. We're going to be able to serve 3,000 foster kids a month to make sure that they have food to eat. And not only, yeah, let's give God praise for that. Hallelujah. That's favor. And we're going to be able to teach the dream class to those kids so they'll know God has a dream for their lives. They're loved by God. They matter to God. God's given them skills and abilities. He has purpose for their lives. And we're going to see those kids rise up and rebuild their lives for the glory of God. Let's give God praise. That's what I'm believing for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Favor. Say that with me. Favor. We're wide open to favor. As as we're tracking through Nehemiah's story, the next thing I want you to see is that, well, Nehemiah's fired up with the favor factor. I mean, he's fired up to go and rebuild. And when he shares with the people, the leaders are fired up. They reply, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. That's what we see in chapter two. And then you move to chapter three. And you hit one of those chapters in the Bible that you just want to speed read through it. Have you ever done that? I mean, there's just names and places and it's, oh, let's get to the next chapter. And so it tells you about, I mean, the gates they're rebuilding and you can see some of the gates. I mean, they're rebuilding the water gate and the sheep gate and the valley gate and the dung gate. In fact, we have a picture of the work being done at the dung gate right there. And so here you have the gates, and then you have the people that are involved in the rebuilding. And you see that there are all kinds of folks. There are priests, there are goldsmiths, there's perfume makers, there's merchants. And one guy has his daughters out there working on the wall. My guess is that the single guys were hanging out around that section of the wall, wherever the daughters were, they were going to be. And then you run into a verse that if you speed read it, you miss it. But there's a word in that verse that jumped out to me. Look at this word. It says there's a man named Baruch who zealously repaired another section. Zealously. Underline the word zealous. Circle the word zealous. That means he did what he did with passion and enthusiasm. In fact, believe it or not, somebody captured this guy on their cell phone, Baruch, and they posted him online at his other job. Here's a picture of him working at the airport. Here's Baruch. Look at his enthusiasm and look at his energy. He pours his heart into what he's doing. I love that guy. I want him on my team. 
because he does what he does with passion. And nothing great ever happens without passion. Whether you're building a great song or a great movie or a great ministry or a great career or a great marriage, it's Valentine's Day next week. All the women said, Amen. Amen. Whenever you're building something, nothing great ever happens without passion. I read a book quite a while back, and the book is about Starbucks, how they got started and how they grew. There's more than 27,000 Starbucks around the country, around the world today. And in the book, there's a quote by Howard Schultz, and this is what he says about the importance of passion. He says, passion is just as important as capital and marketing savvy are in any business undertaking. Anytime you're going to rise up and build. That's why I love the title of the book. It says, pour your heart into it. Do what you do with passion and with enthusiasm and with energy. It's much easier to steer a wild horse than it is to raise a horse from the dead. Amen? If you have energy and passion, and maybe you'd say, time out, Ken, just being real, I feel like that dead horse. I don't have any enthusiasm. I've lost my passion. There's no fire burning on the inside of me. The good news is, is that we serve a God who can raise the dead. Can somebody say amen? Hallelujah. A God who can raise the dead. And if I bring him my heart, well, he can restore the enthusiasm, restore the passion, so that I can pour my heart into it. In fact, even the word enthusiasm, it's a, well, if you go back, the roots of this word, enthusiasm, you can track it back to this word entheos, which breaks down into two words, in God. And that's where you can find enthusiasm. If you lost your enthusiasm, you'll find your enthusiasm in God. When you bring your heart to God, God can renew it. God can restore it. If you've been passionate, but it's been about the wrong things, God won't stamp out the passion. He'll just redirect your passion for the right things. Amen? So that you'll be able to pour your heart into God's dream and his purpose for your life. Pour your heart into it. There was a man a great leader by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he did what he did with enthusiasm and he encouraged others to do the same. That whatever God has called you to rise up and build and do, he, he put it this way. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep sweets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. That's what you call passion, amen? Let's give God praise. I'll tell you what, 
How about if we put that into practice right now? How about if we give God an enthusiastic, passionate expression of praise right now in this place? Let's give God a passionate praise. Hallelujah. Yes. God, we praise you. Hallelujah. You're an amazing God. Lord, we thank you for the joy and the hope that you have given to us. Thank you for the life that we have. Thank you, Lord. We are so grateful and we bless your name. Hallelujah. We are fired up today for you, for your kingdom and for your glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Favor. Say that with me. Favor. Now that brings us to this last thing we see in Nehemiah and where you're fighting for the favor factor, fighting for the favor factor, that, that there's a point where they're rebuilding the wall and they hit the wall. Has that ever happened to you? You're rebuilding the wall and then boom, you hit the wall. I found this sign. This sign was listed. It was on the side of a marathon where a marathon was being run. And this is what the sign read. It said, smile, remember you paid to do this. You know, I have friends who are runners. They're great runners. I, I'm not a runner. When it comes to running, my mantra is this, no pain, no pain. Amen. <laughs> but I have friends who are great runners. And th when they, they run, you know, I've been told by runners that when you run a marathon, that's a, an amazing thing, to run a marathon. At, at some point, a runner will hit a wall. And when you hit the wall, you feel like you can't take another step. Fatigue hits you. There's a loss of energy. One, one guy in runner's world, he described hitting the wall this way. He said, I had been reduced to a bumbling shell of a runner with the mind of a zombie. That's what it looks like to hit the wall. And maybe that's where you're at this weekend. What do you do when you hit the wall? Here are the folks that are building the wall. Rise up and build. But as they're rising up and building, they hit the wall. They get to the halfway point and they hit the wall. It's halfway built. What is it about that halfway point? Okay, I'm going to do a survey. It's not a scientific survey, but if everybody can just be honest. We're in church. Just be honest. If you have a project at home, that you would say it's more or less halfway built, halfway done? Would you just raise your hand? You know, halfway. Now, how many would say it's been halfway for a very long time? You know, I see elbows are flying. What is it about that halfway point? I mean, there's the excitement of starting. I'm so excited I'm starting. And then there's the excitement of finishing. I'm so excited I'm finishing. But here I am, halfway. It's halfway, and you hit that wall. They hit the wall. It's the halfway point, and this is what the leaders tell Nehemiah. The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. What do you do to fight through the wall? What gives you that extra push? When Nehemiah redirects their attention, and he reminds them that the race that you're running, only you can run it. But it is not just about you. It's about God. 
and it's about those around you. And that's why you have to fight through the wall. Nehemiah says, remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Would you say that with me? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. That the race that you're running, it's about you, but it's more than just you. It's about God and those around you. Fight through that wall. Rise up and build. Hallelujah. Rise up and rebuild your finances. Rise up and rebuild your family. Rise up and rebuild your health. Rise up and rebuild that ministry. Rise up and rebuild that career. Rise up and build because it's more than just about you. It's about God and those around you. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. God is calling us as a people to rise up and build. Favor. Say that with me. Favor. I'm going to invite two very special friends to come join me on the platform. Let me tell you as they come a little bit about them, Carl and Leslie Gardino. Carl Gardino is the head of Silicon Valley Leadership Group. He represents 400 of the most influential tech companies in the South Bay. And Leslie Gardino works for a consulting firm. She's been named as one of the most influential women in the Silicon Valley. They truly are a power couple. They are. But most importantly, they're deeply devoted followers of Jesus. Can we give God praise for the influence God has given to them? Raise them up. They're two of the most gracious people that I've ever met in my life. I have so much respect and admiration for them. And they're going to share with you a a little bit about their journey. That They were in a church service, kind of like we're in. And during that church service... You could say that they got woke. Boy, and their future took on a whole new trajectory. And so as they come to share with you, would you give them a great big welcome? Welcome Carl and Leslie Gardino. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Yes, as Pastor Ken said, about two and a half years ago, we were sitting in church and uh, listening to a wonderful service and learning about a program that serves foster kids in our community called Foster the Bay. And Foster the Bay uh, brings around churches to support foster families and to encourage folks to help foster kids. And we felt um, really called to step up, um, to wake up, and uh, to think about how we could be part of that solution. So we already had two children of our own, um, Jessica, who is now 13, and uh, she came to our family the old-fashioned way. Uh, And then we were blessed to adopt our second child, Sienna. And sometimes the greatest things that happen in your life come out of tragedy. Um, Sadly, we lost um, our son, Emmanuel, in utero at about 18, 19 weeks from trisomy 18, which is a very severe chromosomal disorder. And uh, that was probably the darkest, one of the darkest days of our lives. And I really couldn't see past that to anything positive. Uh, But God could. And um, we lost another one in utero after that and started to become discouraged. But um, God gave us strength, and we pressed on. 
and we were blessed to um, go through the adoption process with Sienna. We adopted her from a small town in Ogden, Utah, from a, a teenager who knew she couldn't raise this child on her own and wanted her to be adopted into a loving family. And so that chapter was so positive and uh, really grew our faith into what was possible. And that begins our foster journey in that church service 30 months ago. We learned in that service that there are 400,000 foster kids in the United States. There are 50,000 in California alone. And of, as of January 1 of last year, there were 1,440 foster kids just here in our Santa Clara County who lacked a permanent placement. We want to make one thing perfectly clear. Foster kids are not bad kids. But tragically, foster kids have often had incredibly awful things happen to them. And that speaks to the current outcomes that we see in our country. 57 of every 100 foster kids will have spent time in jail by the time they're 19 years old. 48 of every 100 foster girls will have become pregnant by the age of 19. One in three are homeless within a year of turning 18, and only one of two will ever earn even a high school diploma. Only three in 100 will go on to college and graduate. It should be no surprise then that eight out of 10 people in America's prison system were foster kids. But behind every statistic, there stands a son or a daughter who can have a better outcome with our help. And that was what God was calling us to. Inner Jake and Jesus' incredible timing. After months of Saturday classes, interviews, home visits, reference checks, yes, even I passed a reference check, <laughs> Leslie and I were approved for placement if someone would only entrust us with that placement. And that was hard, as our journeys often are. Because between August 1 and November 7 of 2016, seven matches didn't select us. But God's timing is divine because here's that context of August 1 through November 7. From August 1 through November 7, I was on loan from the Silicon Valley Leadership Group to run a countywide traffic relief initiative here in Santa Clara County, and it was averaging 104 hours a week for 14 straight weeks. And that's not the setting that God wants for a child to come into our lives. Well, while it broke our hearts to not be selected with those first seven potential placement, we trusted God's plan and his timing to be perfect. So election day was November 7. 
It was November 8 at 2 p.m., the eighth possible placement. We're sitting in that meeting, and they said yes. Here's another reality. Jake's wonderful mom is one of these 7,100 homeless people on our streets and in our creeks here in Santa Clara County today. Jake is her eighth child. All eight are in our foster care system. There's so much we can do, isn't there? That's why on January 9 of last year, 2017, we were granted permanent placement with Jake. And then on August 25th, last summer at 9 a.m. in Superior Court in San Jose, the judge said, yes, you will be the parents who get to adopt Jake. And he is ours. <laughs> 400,000 foster kids in our country. Doesn't that seem overwhelming? There's a poet named Stanislaw Lech, a Polish poet, who once said, no snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. And with an avalanche of 400,000 kids, it's hard to feel that we have a responsibility and a small role as one of those snowflakes that we can play, but we can. We have a choice. We can be enraged or we can be engaged. And whether it's personally or professionally, there are steps that we, you and I, can take. Nine out of 10 high school kids in California have access to a computer. It's pretty much essential today in education. Eight out of 10 poor kids in California have access to that computer. Only two out of 10 foster kids do. Foster kids need opportunities for jobs that pay a living wage. So at the leadership group this summer, we have the opportunity to pay five foster kids a real wage to work and learn job skills. You can be support families as Foster the Bay provides where you may not be the placement, but you can help take someone on an errand, relieve a family for two hours so they can catch their breath and take a nap. You can be a foster family, or you can be all in as we decided God was leading us to be and foster adopt. We call foster is like, or adopt is like from lease to own, and we wanted to own Jake and him to own us. <laughs> Psalms, the book of Psalms says that God puts the lonely in families. And there are 400,000 lonely kids who need us as their families. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Carl. Thank you, Carl and Leslie. Would you let Carl and Leslie know how much you appreciate their leadership modeling what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We love you. Oh, wow. We want to pray with you and pray for you. And I just pray that God is going to give. You know, I think God's waking us up as a church here in the Bay Area. I mean, 
There's 500 churches. There's 1,400 foster kids. If all of us as churches step up, we could take care of the kids in our county. Amen? I believe we could, I believe we could take care of that. But however God's leading us, whether he's waking you up to something else, that God can give you the favor at the right time in the right way. And uh, we want to pray for favor over you. So if you'd stand, and we'd just like to declare favor over your life. Favor. Say that with me. Favor. Say it again. Favor. In fact, I'm going to ask, Nathaniel, would you come up and join me on the platform? You know, Nathaniel is one of these foster kids that is a committed part of our church family. This guy does so much in terms of ministry. And this is when things go right. This is how foster, when you step up. What family in our church stepped up and just were that for Nathaniel and just to see how, how Nathaniel's life is not just surviving but thriving as he gives and gives in so many ways. But we just want to pray God's favor and blessing over you. Father, I thank you right now for your wonderful people at Cathedral of Faith, those who are watching online, God, those who are in different venues. I, I pray, God, your favor upon them. Lord, that we don't want to sleepwalk our way through 2018, but that we'll be wide awake to how we are called to rise up and build whatever it looks like and that we'll have the favor we need. God, divine favor from you will cover your people. We're your sons and daughters. And that, God, you would release your favor, favor from those over us, favor with those around us at the right time and the right way so we can make a difference for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray this. All God's people said, amen. amen. Let's give God praise one more time. Hallelujah. Love you, Nathaniel.